a number of people will be leaving tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. And finishing a retreat, getting out of retreat, often then the question arises, and now what? Or how to continue the practice? How to integrate the practice into our daily life? Or how to make practice part of our life? How to live the Dhamma in life? Only about 10 days ago, O Venerable Lamsarakita, he talked about this issue in his last talk. So I'm not repeating these kinds of things or advices that he had given, but today we will look at this issue and at these questions from a bit a wider perspective, looking at it from a completely different angle. And so today's talk is entitled The Essence of Life. Let me start with a verse from the Dhammapada. To avoid all evil, to cultivate good, to purify one's mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. We can summarize the teaching of the Buddha with this verse from the Dhammapada. In essence, the teaching aims at the purification of one's heart and mind in order to come to a true and deep understanding of all phenomena, free from one's opinions, views and prejudices. Meditation is a journey into the depths of our heart and mind. And this is not an easy undertaking. On the contrary, it is one of the most challenging adventures in our life. To penetrate into the deep jungle of the Amazonas, or even to climb the highest mountain on earth, seems to be a piece of cake by comparison. Nowhere else are we so much confronted with our own limits as, as, in the, as on the expedition into the faraway corners of our heart and mind. For this, we need a tremendous amount of courage and perseverance not to give up. To face this challenge well prepared, the Buddha has told us time and again how important it is to have a pure moral conduct, to have faultless bodily and verbal actions. In the verse from the Dhammapada, this is expressed with the first two lines, namely, to avoid all evil and to cultivate good. And now the question arises, what is good? Or what is wholesome? What is beneficial? Or which actions lead to good, beneficial and wholesome results? And what is evil? What is bad? What is unwholesome? 
what is not beneficial, or which kinds of actions lead to bad, unwholesome results or effects. So today we will have a look at these questions and see how we can live our life in order to bring out the best of it. How can we make use of our life and the things that we possess in order to bring out the greatest benefit possible? Or in other words, what is the essence of life? We should frequently consider the fact that it is not to be taken for granted that we are reborn as a human being. In the Buddhist teaching, in the Buddhist philosophy, we have six different worlds or realms into which beings can be born. The human world and the world of the animals, we can relate to. These we can see with our own eyes. And besides these two worlds, there is the world of the Asuras, some kind of demons or titans. Then there is the world of the Petas, the hungry ghosts, and the world of the hell beings. These three worlds, together with the realm of the animals, are called the lower realms. And then we have the heavenly realms, the celestial realms, with the Devas and Brahmas. The human realm lies in between the heavenly realm and the lower realms. With the help <coughs> of the following simile, the Buddha showed us how difficult it actually is to be reborn as a human being. A needle is put into the earth pointing upwards towards the sky. And then another needle is dropped from high above the sky. In the scriptures it says, from the Brahma realm. So now the chance that this needle dropped from high above in the sky hits the needle sticking in the earth, so this chance is still much greater than the chance to be reborn as a human being. So to be a human being, to be reborn as a human being, what does that mean? Or how does a human being differ from other living beings? As human beings, we have the ability to think and we can look at the situation with a rational mind and so we can come to logical conclusions. And with this ability to differentiate, we can recognize the good from the bad or the wholesome from the unwholesome. So we can know what is beneficial and what is not. And we also can discern if a certain action has only short-term benefits 
or if there will be benefits uh, for a long time. To be a human being also means that we consist of two different phenomena. You know that mental phenomena and physical phenomena. We have a mind and we have a body. And so the combination and the working together of these two makes up what we call a human being. Now for a new life to arise, there need to be certain conditions. And these are avicca, which is ignorance, delusion, tanha, craving, upadana, clinging, and kamma, volitional actions. Avicca is the ignorance or not knowing of the true nature of phenomena. It is a perverted and wrong view of how things really are. And based on this ignorance, living beings are not able to see the characteristics of anicca, dukkha, anatta, asubha, and asara. Anicca, dukkha, anatta, you know very well, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self, impersonal nature. Asubha actually means not beautiful, <coughs> translated also as loathsomeness. And asara means no essence or without essence. All different kinds of life are subject to these characteristics, be it as human being, as a deva, or hell being. The second cause is tanha, or craving. Sometimes it's also translated as thirst. All the time we thirst for the pleasure of the senses. Our desires, cravings and wanting are without end. And due to avicca, ignorance, beings crave for life, for existence. Upadana, or clinging, is a stronger form of tanha. We can compare upadana with the hand that is holding on tightly to something that it has got hold of. Whereas tanha or craving is the hand constantly reaching out, wanting to get things. And the fourth cause is karma, which means volitional or intentional actions. It's this intention behind a verbal, bodily or mental act that is uh, called karma. And on the basis of the law of cause and effect, wholesome um, volitional actions result in wholesome effects and unwholesome 
volitional actions, they lead to unwholesome effects. So if we look for the essence in our life, we should first be clear about what we actually mean by essence. What we take as essence should be something that cannot be destroyed, something that has long-lasting and beneficial results, and something that is conducive for our well-being and contentment. And as a true essence, it also should be helpful in our aim or in reaching our goal of liberation and enlightenment. Just as a piece of hardwood cannot be destroyed by ants or termites or by rain or by other outer influences, so it should not be possible for this essence to be destroyed by any outer influences or enemies. As I said before, our life um, consists of mental and physical phenomena. In other words, we have a body and a mind. And in addition to this, there is another thing that plays an important role in our life. And this is our material possessions. So we have three parts which play an important role in our life. Our material possession, our body, and our mind. Now when we look for an essence in these three parts, what can we find? Or which essence, which essences can we extract? Let's first have a look at our material possessions. I think we have all seen a hamster filling its cheek with a lot of food. We human beings are actually not so different. We too spend a lot of time in our life in gathering things, in accumulating material possessions. We keep collecting things and then we think that these material possessions belong us. We are the owner of these possessions and therefore we have to protect these belongings from theft or from other uh, dangers. So we put them carefully away or we put them even uh, in a safe. And on top of that, we take out an insurance policy against theft or um, damage caused by fire and water. But all these precautions are still no guarantee that our possessions cannot be stolen or destroyed. There are five enemies which can destroy our possessions. And these five enemies are fire, then water, 
theft, confiscation through the government or authority, and disloyal children. The first two enemies, fire and water, they belong to the destruction caused by nature. And so here we can include also avalanches or mudslides or heavy storms and rains. The remaining three uh, enemies, they cause the destruction of our possessions through the misuse of power, force or domination. As much as we take care or take precautions, but there is no guarantee that our uh, material possessions are not destroyed or lost or stolen. So if the essence is lies not in the possession of these material things, or if it doesn't lie in the material things themselves, so what essence can be extracted from these things? How can these things or material possessions be helpful in our search for happiness and freedom of the heart? Is there an indestructible essence to be found in these things? The essence that we can extract from our material possessions is dana, which means generosity, giving or offering. Dana is a virtue that lies dormant in all human beings and it can be practiced, developed and strengthened. It is the quality of the heart that moves a person to give away his or her possessions for the welfare of other beings. Giving opens our heart and it counteracts such unwholesome qualities as stinginess, self-centeredness and miserliness and it nourishes and develops the qualities of compassion and generosity. During an act of selfless giving our heart is filled with happiness and joy and we can expand this feeling of happiness and joy to the time before and after the actual act of giving. So when we prepare the things to give, when we go shopping or when we are cooking uh, a meal, we can already uh, feel happy and joyous about the fact that we are going to do this dana. And then after the actual act of dana, um, we can feel happy and elated at the fact that we have done this act of generosity. On my second trip to Australia in 1991, I visited Canberra with my friend David. 
As we are walking in the pedestrian zone of downtown Canberra, we came across an elderly woman who distributed uh, little bowls of steaming hot soup from a huge pot, pot to all the bypassers. And she also invited the two of us to have a cup of soup. We stopped and she filled, filled two bowls of steaming hot soup from this huge pot. It was a delicious vegetable soup, that, um, obviously prepared with a lot of care and love. As I was eating this bowl of soup, I was looking around to see for what organization or what kind of group she was doing this offering. But I couldn't see any sign that gave me any clue for whom she was doing this. And so I approached her and asked her for which organization or group she was doing it. And she told me that she wasn't doing it for any group or organization, but that it was her private offering. She said it's, it was her offering to the needy and all the people um, passing by. And she continued to explain that from the monthly uh, support or welfare check that she got from the government, she put away the money after she had paid for her rent, food and insurance. You know, she said, other women spend the extra money on buying beautiful clothes and uh, makeup and going to the cafe and talk to other, wi other women. I don't need this. It rather fills my heart with joy and I'm very happy when I can offer this pot of soup every Friday afternoon. And with these words, she turned around and filled another bowl of soup and gave it to a middle-aged businessman. So, so the merit gained from this wholesome action of dana, generosity, cannot be destroyed by anything or anybody. It cannot be stolen and it cannot be taken away. No fire or mudslide can destroy the acquired merit, nor can, can it be confiscated by the government or authorities. And burglars can search the whole house and even carry away the safe, but they cannot get hold of our merit. Dana is, the, is what we can extract from our material possessions and what becomes the essence. There is a great power in these acts of generosity and the positive effects contributes a lot to our well-being and happiness. Very often the Buddha started his talks with the topic of giving as it, as it is a very important quality on the spiritual path. It is the basis of the whole path, or it is the foundation upon which 
the other steps are based. The second part in our life that plays an important role is our body. As long as we are alive, we regard this body as something lasting, as something permanent, or we see it as our body. The body belongs to us and we can do with it what we want, or at least to a certain degree. We think that we have power and control over this body. But as soon as we get sick, then we have to admit that we actually have no power and no control over this body. The pain in the ear, for example, doesn't go away simply because we want it to go away. Or if we have caught a cold, then we cannot say, go away, I don't want you now. I have to be fit and healthy. It doesn't work in this way. It is only a very, very superficial or imaginary control. And it dissolves instantly as soon as we won't really make use of it. And we know also at the time of our death, we have to leave behind our body. Then it will immediately start to decompose and to rot. Even if we take this body apart <coughs> and check each part for a permanent thing or for something with an essence, we have to admit that nothing permanent or everlasting can be found. And the Buddha said that this body is the seat of 96 different kinds of sickness. The eyes can become diseased for various reasons. So can the nose or the tongue. The heart can get sick, the lungs, the intestines, whatever. There is no part in the body that is not getting sick or cannot get sick. To the question of a monk, what people mean with sickness, the Buddha replied that it actually means this body. Or if we have to point with our finger towards sickness, then we would have to point towards our bodies. A contemplation that is frequently practiced takes the 32 parts of the body as its object. Each of these 32 parts um, is not permanent and there is nothing that is intrinsically beautiful or nice. And there is nothing in these 32 parts that we can extract as an essence, as a true essence. At the beginning of this talk, I said that it is avijja, or ignorance, delusion, that makes us see things in the wrong way. 
So each of these 32 parts of the body, starting with the hair of the head, the hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin, bones, etc., none of them has some intrinsic beauty to it. We just need to remove it from its context and then it will become very obvious. I want to illustrate this with a little uh, example, a little story. Some years ago, Myoshin came to Burma in order to ordain as a nun. My Burmese friend Mimi, who has taught me Burmese and who is helping me to take care of the foreigners coming to our center. So Mimi decided that she was going to keep Myoshin's beautiful golden hair. In Burmese, uh, there is no actual word for blonde hair because Burmese people, Asian people, they don't have blonde hair. <laughs> so to uh, blonde hair is translated in Burmese as golden hair. At that time, Myoshin's hair was a bit longer than now. And so Mimi, my friend, found it such a pity that Myoshin was going to shave her head. And so she decided that she was going to keep this beautiful golden hair for the rest of her life. Traditionally, when a prospect nun's or monk's head is shaved, the hair is collected on a piece of white cloth or a white towel. So one nun from the center was shaving Miyoshin's head and Mimi and I were holding this white <coughs> cloth um, into which the hair was falling or then it was uh, collected there on this white cloth. And to shave a person's head, the person has to wet her, his hair and to put some soap on it to make it a bit more smooth or uh, to shave. So now, as the nun was shaving her head, these bundles of hair fell onto the cloth, but the hair was all wet and full of soap. So this hair sticking together and looking rather not nice. <laughs> not to say disgusting. And so by the end, when Myoshin's head was shaved, there was this heap of these bundles of hair sticking together, mixed with soap. And I gave it to Mimi and said, now you can keep this beautiful hair for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, she didn't look so enthusiastic or happy about it anymore and quietly she um, put it on the root of a tree as it is normally done. <laughs> so the essence that we can extract out of our body is 
sila or moral conduct, virtuous conduct. The way we use our body and our speech can either be wholesome or unwholesome. And there are certain guidelines which regulate our verbal and bodily actions. And these guidelines, they point towards wholesome and beneficial actions, which then in um, turn will produce wholesome and beneficial effects. And in the Buddhist teaching, these guidelines are known as the precepts. Lay people often observe the five precepts, whereas meditators often, often observe the eight precepts, at least in Burma. The merit that is gained by keeping these precepts cannot be destroyed by any of the five enemies. Fire and water cannot do any damage, nor can thieves, authorities or disloyal children. The merit of keeping Sila is ours, and under the right condition it will bear fruit immediately or in the future or both, now and in the future. So virtuous people strive to keep these precepts pure, and so then it becomes like second nature. Then one automatically refrains from unwholesome actions. One automatically refrains from actions that cause suffering or inflict injury. These guidelines are not um, absolute orders or fixed uh, things, but as they are formulated, they are really guidelines that help us uh, moving towards this direction of having our bodily and verbal actions pure and faultless. We just have recited these precepts and, as you know, it's termed as to undertake the precept to refrain, to refrain from killing, to refrain from taking what is not given, to refrain from sexual misconduct, to refrain from wrong speech, and to refrain from intoxicants, everything that clouds the mind or make it heedless. So for the welfare of all sentient beings, as well as for our own welfare, we should control and check our actions. So we should refrain from everything that causes pain, sorrow or suffering. We should refrain in order not to inflict that on other beings, but we also should refrain it in order not to cause us the suffering by performing these unwholesome actions. We should treat other living beings with respect and dignity in the same way that we want to be treated with respect and dignity. These 
five precepts are also called Nicca Garu Dhamma. Nicca means permanent or everlasting. It's the opposite of Anicca, impermanence. Garu means respect and Dhamma is the law or the way things are, the law of nature, term for the Buddhist teaching. So this means that the five precepts are guidelines which we always should respect. One of my teachers, Sayadaw Uindaka, has compared these Nicca Garudamas, the five precepts, with Alonji. Alonji is the lower garment that men and women alike uh, wear in Burma. It's this sarong-like lower garment. So still nowadays, most of the Burmese people wear their longi. Trousers or jeans are still quite a rare sight in Burma. So for Burmese, one is only well-dressed if one is wearing a longi. And of course, a shirt or a blouse for the upper part of the body. In a culture, there are certain parts of the body should be covered, like the legs and the chest. It would be definitely a strange sight to see somebody walking around in shorts or a miniskirt. It's not considered to be good manners to show one's leg. But with a longi and a blouse or a shirt, one is well dressed and nobody will comment on how one is dressed. And so it is the same with the Nicca Garudamas. A person who wears the garment of the five precepts has a, a respectable appearance and is also uh, well treated. A person wearing the garment of the five precepts is or looks gracious and is admired by other people. The transgression of these precepts would be like walking around with a torn or dirty longi. And if one, if one would completely ignore these precepts, then it would be like walking around with bare legs in Burma. Of course, here in our Western culture, it's a bit different. Nobody would even turn around the head <laughs> if somebody walks around with bare legs. Keeping these, the five precepts is also considered to be a form of dana. It is called the five great gifts. By abstaining from these unwholesome bodily and verbal actions, we offer other beings fearlessness, trust, harmony, and security. And these are indeed 
great gifts. They are even more valuable than the most precious stones or jewels because these five great gifts, we cannot buy them in the shop around the corner or even the biggest supermarket. So a pure and virtuous conduct is the essence that we can extract from our body. The observance of sila is a wholesome deed that supports us in our endeavor to lead a happy and content life. And it's not only support in this life, but also for future uh, existences. And above all, it is a necessary foundation and condition for the practice of meditation. Only when we are free from unwholesome bodily and verbal actions is it possible to concentrate the mind and thereby gain insight into the true nature of all phenomena. And now we come to the third part uh, in our life which plays an important role. And this is our mind. We can also call it the heart and the mind. And with this we mean all mental phenomena, such as all kinds of thoughts and emotions. And through the practice of meditation, we have come already uh, to see, to a certain degree, that these thoughts and emotions are also not permanent or everlasting. A thought comes, stays a little bit, and then disappears. Or an emotion overwhelms us, keeps us caught for some time, but then eventually dissolves again. And even opinions and views that we have held dear over many, many years can change or even turn into the opposite. Or a feeling of great elation that we have experienced a few weeks ago has already dissolved and does not exist anymore. As much as we look for it, we cannot uh, find it anymore. On the basis of these experiences, we have to admit that also the mind uh, is nothing that is stable or permanent. There is no solid core or nothing which is indestructible or unchanging. The mind or the heart and the mind are subject to impermanence in the same way as is our body and our uh, material possessions. And when we look a bit closer at our minds during the meditation practice, we come to see that also the other two general characteristics apply. It is subject to unsatisfactoriness, suffering, and to uh, the impersonality, no self. Because the mind, with its ever-changing thoughts 
and emotions is also subject to anicca, dukkha and anatta. It can also not be the essence. So we have to look somewhere else to find an essence. Mental training or mental development is the essence that we can extract from our mind. In Pali, this is called bhavana, and generally it is translated as meditation. Bhavana means the development of our heart and mind. It is mental culture or mental training. As we all know in the Buddhist teaching, there are two, two different kinds of bhavana. We have samatha bhavana and we have vipassana bhavana. Samatha bhavana aims at the one-pointedness of one's mind so that it becomes deeply concentrated. And in this state of deep concentration, one feels happy, one feels bliss, peace. But as soon as one comes out of this state of deep concentration, the happiness, the peace and the bliss uh, are gone. Insight or understanding of phenomena as they really are. Unlike in Samatha meditation, we do not only focus or concentrate on one object, but all mental and physical phenomena can become the object of our meditation. It is only through the true and deep understanding that we can get the peace and happiness that we are so dearly wishing for. Through the insight into the true nature of phenomena, we can see the causes of our unsatisfactoriness of our suffering and with that we can remove these causes or prevent them from arising again. The merit and benefit gained from the meditation practice is easy to get and has the most beneficial results for our aim of liberation. Meditation is not limited to uh, retreats or weekends, formal practice, but it can actually be applied everywhere and anytime. As I said before, meditation is the development or cultivation of the wholesome qualities in our heart and mind. And so, we also can apply this principle in our daily life. All that we need is attention and a commitment to stay in the moment, to stay in the present. If we make it our aim to stay attentive and mindful in each moment and to know what is going on in our body and mind, then we can gain the greatest possible benefit from each moment of our life. Mindfulness 
in our daily life also helps reduce stress and mental agitation. And with this, we can be more present and we can be more focused. We feel more grounded and our actions will be rooted in consideration and they will be appropriate to the situation. A mindful life purifies the heart and mind and leads to a more peaceful and happy life in general. And finally, it leads to the insight and wisdom that can bring a complete end to our suffering. So the investigation of the true nature of all phenomena is the essence that we can get out from our heart and mind. Our insights and our wisdom cannot be destroyed by any of the five enemies. It is ours as long as we are alive and it never leaves us during our journey in samsara. Normally, our, we use our ability to discern our knowledge, our intelligence, especially to make our life more enjoyable, more pleasant. And this, is us this usually concerns um, our material well-being. We only need to consider how many electrical appliances we use uh, in the course of our days. And we also wash and brush and clean our body um, at least once a day, if not uh, more often. And we put creams and lotions and makeup on our uh, face on our body and then we take great care in dressing this body properly. So many people spend a lot of time in taking care of these things, spending a lot of time uh, on their bodies. If we would only use one-tenth of the time for the development of our heart and mind, then we would already be ten times happier. Instead of taking so much time exclusively for the body, we should find a balance in beautifying the body and the mind. A pure and clean heart actually automatically manifests in a pure, uh, beautiful and serene um, outer expression or facial expression. A pure heart and a developed mind are a much more reliable makeup than all the countless products that are available on the market. At the time of death, we have to believe we have to leave behind this body and we also have to leave behind our material possessions. Only 
the mind continuum uh, goes on. It is the merits and the insights that are stored, stored in this continuum of the mind that can be useful later on. As we have seen, dana, sila and bhavana are wholesome and beneficial meritorious deeds. Dana is the essence that we can extract from our material possessions. Sila is the essence that we can take out from our body. And Bhavana is the essence that we can take out from our heart and mind. Dana, Sila, Bhavana are the ingredients for a happy and peaceful life right now and also uh, in the future. Generosity, morality and meditation are the essence of our life. Basically we all, or at least most of the people, want to do good and want to live a good life. But out of sheer ignorance and not knowing, people do things that are not skillful and that are not beneficial. Being caught in their blindness and delusion, people do not realize that by doing certain things, they are actually cutting into their own flesh. As we do not see through the veil of delusion, we are stuck in our wrong views, in our opinions, and from that spring our unwholesome actions. Our views, opinions and ideas are mostly based on speculation or blind belief rather than on facts or absolute reality. There are many philosophers, thinkers or writers who have come up with different philosophies, religions and theories, but all caught in the prison of their belief in a self. Many people of very high and sharp intellect have died within the confinement of this prison, still chained to the belief in a self. To get free from these chains of the self, the Buddha didn't make use of logical thinking or um, theoretical speculation, but he looked very carefully and without any prejudices, trying to penetrate into the true and absolute nature of things. The aim of the Buddhist teaching is realization, a direct and personal understanding of things as they truly are. Coming back to the verse of the Dhammapada, which I quoted at the beginning of this talk, we can now better understand what the Buddha meant by to avoid all evil, to cultivate good, and to purify the mind. And 
how to put it into practice in our lives. The value of the Buddhist teaching doesn't lie so much in its theoretical logic, but rather in its very direct and practical approach of how to apply it in our lives, of how to practice it in our lives. In the same way that we need certain ingredients to make bread, namely flour, water, salt and yeast, so do we need the ingredients of dana, sila and bhavana to lead a happy and fulfilling life. Let's sit quiet for a few moments. May all of you be able to practice dana, sila and bhavana and thereby become, uh, become completely liberated from all that causes suffering. <laughs> 